Good evening. Trump says goodbye. The National Guard pulls a dozen soldiers with extremist links. Senate confirmation hearings and the NYPD shuts down another protest march. With these and other stories, I'm Paul Durienzo with the WBAI News for Tuesday, January 19th, 2021. It's the final hours of President Donald Trump's tumultuous term, and the COVID-19 pandemic has surpassed 400,000 dead in the United States. One year ago, few Americans had heard of coronaviruses or Wuhan. No one wore a mask in public, and going to a restaurant or bar was as easy as sauntering out the door. All that has changed as the United States, the world's richest and most advanced nation, now boasts the unenviable title of most COVID deaths in the world. In his final hours, Donald Trump made no mention of COVID or its ghastly toll. As I conclude my term as the 45th president of the United States, I stand before you truly proud of what we have achieved together. We did what we came here to do and so much more. This week, we inaugurate a new administration and pray for its success in keeping America safe and prosperous. We extend our best wishes, and we also want them to have luck, a very important word. And as he said goodbye, he praised his legion of followers with the promise of a new beginning. Now, as I prepare to hand power over to a new administration at noon on Wednesday, I want you to know that the movement we started is only just beginning. There's never been anything like it. The belief that a nation must serve its citizens will not dwindle, but instead only grow stronger by the day. As long as the American people hold in their hearts deep and devoted love of country, then there is nothing that this nation cannot achieve. Our communities will flourish. Our people will be prosperous. Our traditions will be cherished, our faith will be strong, and our future will be brighter than ever before. I go from this majestic place with a loyal and joyful heart and optimistic spirit and a supreme confidence that for our country and for our children, the best is yet to come. Thank you and farewell. God bless you. God bless the United States of America. The Gallup polling organization released numbers today that put a different spin on Trump's divisive presidency. He leaves office with a 33 percent approval rating, the lowest for a departing president since World War II, and the lowest average approval rating of just over 40 percent for his entire four-year term. And just two weeks after Trump supporters and a ragtag band of white supremacists, Klansmen and fascists raided the United States Capitol, The outgoing Republican head of the Senate, Mitch McConnell, virtually called the president a criminal. The last time the Senate convened, we had just reclaimed the Capitol from violent criminals who tried to stop Congress from doing our duty. The mob was fed lies. They were provoked by the president and other powerful people. And they tried to use fear and violence to stop a specific proceeding of the first branch of the federal government which they did not like. But we pressed on. We stood together and said an angry mob would not get veto power over the rule of law in our nation, not even for one night. We certified the people's choice for their 46th president. Tomorrow, President-elect Biden and Vice President-elect Harris will be sworn in. 
we'll have a safe and successful inaugural right here on the west front of the Capitol, the space that President Bush 41 called democracy's front porch. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. But even as McConnell spoke, National Guard General Daniel Hokanson was assuring the nation there were no potential assassins among thousands of National Guard troops guarding the inauguration. And so we work very closely with law enforcement. And if there's any identification or anything whatsoever that, that needs to be looked into, out of an abundance of caution, we automatically pull those personnel off the line and make sure that they're not part of the mission set. And in certain cases, uh, we make sure that we get them sent home. But we're in very close coordination also within our organization. We're kind of a family in the National Guard. Uh, we grow up together, we work together, and we keep an eye on each other. And if there's any indications, uh, we immediately address it through the chain of command or law enforcement, the appropriate level of agency. Uh, but I'm not concerned as a large um, part of our organization. If you look at 25,000, um, we've had 12 identified, and, and some of those they're just looking into. It may be uh, unrelated to this, um, but we want to make sure out of an abundance of caution, as I stated earlier, uh, that we do the right thing until that gets cleared up. National Guard General Daniel Hokanson. McConnell's expected replacement, Democrat Chuck Schumer, promises a safe event tomorrow, but he adds Trump should never be allowed to run for president again. Donald Trump should not be eligible to run for office ever again. All of us want to put this awful chapter in our nation's history behind us. But healing and unity will only come if there is truth and accountability. Not sweeping such a severe charge, such awful actions under the rug. So let me be clear. There will be an impeachment trial in the United States Senate. There will be a vote on convicting the president for high crimes and misdemeanors. And if the president is convicted, there will be a vote on barring him from running again. New York Senator Chuck Schumer. President Trump famously hails from New York, where his father made the family fortune, providing middle income, segregated housing in Queens. His son, the Don, went on to stake a claim in Manhattan and later Atlantic City, New Jersey. Trump has of late switched his residency to Florida, where he maintains his Mar-a-Lago headquarters and two golf courses. New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio said today Trump will never be welcome in New York City again. I do not expect him to spend time at Trump Tower, um, not because I've heard anything specific, just because I think he's gotten the memo that there's uh, tremendous discomfort with him in New York City. I certainly do not consider him someone welcome here, uh, but he has a right to be here if he chooses to. I just don't think he's going to be here. I don't think he thinks this is an environment for him. I think that's why he formally changed his uh, residency to Florida. Mayor Bill de Blasio. As President-elect Joe Biden prepares to take the oath of office from Capitol Hill, um, where the from a site in front of Capitol Hill, really on top of the hill in front of the Capitol building, where the pro-Trump mob ran wild, as the president himself had requested just weeks ago. His cabinet picks were undergoing scrutiny before Senate committees. Former Federal Reserve Chair Janet Yellen is looking to be confirmed as Secretary of the Treasury. She was asked the quickest way to jumpstart the economy. Yellen says she agrees with President-elect Biden. The United States needs a big relief package. The president-elect Norai proposed this relief, relief package 
without an appreciation for the country's debt burden. But right now, with interest rates at historic lows, the smartest thing we can do is act big. In the long run, I believe the benefits will far outweigh the costs, especially if we care about helping people who have been struggling for a very long time. People worry about a K-shaped recovery, but well before COVID-19 infected a single American, we were living in a K-shaped economy, one where wealth built upon wealth while working families fell farther and farther behind. This is especially true for people of color. At the Fed, I became accustomed to the institution's dual mandate to promote stable prices and maximum employment. As Treasury Secretary, I think there will be a dual mission too, helping Americans endure the final months of this pandemic, keeping people safe while getting them back to work. That's our first task. But then there's the longer term project. We have to rebuild our economy so that it creates more prosperity for more people and ensures that American workers can compete in an increasingly competitive global economy. Former Fed Chair Janet Yellen, a K-shaped recovery occurs when following a recession, different parts of the economy recover at different rates, times, or magnitudes. And New York City is the nation's economic capital, the home of Wall Street, where billions change hands every day. With the city and state facing crippling financial burdens because of COVID, Mayor de Blasio addressed one idea, returning to a tax on stock transfers. Stock transfer tax, the way it's been approached, I think, has been arcane. Look at what Wall Street is going through. They are, it's booming. Stock market is booming. Finance industry is making money hand over fist while vast majority of working people are suffering because of the pandemic. Uh, stock transfer tax absolutely is the kind of thing we should be looking at for more revenue, as well as taxing the wealthy at a much higher level. I would urge the legislature to look at all of those and whatever package makes sense. The bottom line is there's a lot of revenue there that would simply be a matter of wealthy folks paying their fair share. And remember, remember, just a few years ago, they got a vast tax cut from the Trump administration. Mayor de Blasio. But economist Jack Rasmus says Democrats are concealing the depth of opposition from the GOP to Biden's big spending plans. The $1.9 trillion, if it uh, were actual, in other words, if it got into the economy and got in fairly quickly, it would be a significant stimulus. I don't disagree with the elements in that proposal, except a lot of it's just a wish list. It's not going to get passed, unfortunately. And it may get cut by as much as half. That's because Biden has already said he will not go the budget reconciliation route where you only need uh, uh, 50 percent plus one to get it passed. He will rely on the old archaic Senate rules where you got to get 60 votes in order to pass anything. And you combine that with the announcement by Schumer just recently uh, that uh, the committees will share 50-50 the seats on the committees, which means nothing gets out of the committee uh, to get voted on the floor unless the Republicans agree to it. I really don't think that you're going to see... uh, something hit the floor of the Senate that looks anything like the $1.9 trillion. 
I don't believe it will happen. What are the likely candidates for being cut back? Certainly the $390 billion in state and local government aid. That's going to be a major element that the Republicans will attempt to roll back. The $170 billion in school reopening money, that will be cut back. They'll say, oh, that's spending too much. And then you have other provisions as well, like the uh, four tax credits for households. I don't think the Republicans are going to agree to that because it jeopardizes the business tax credits or they'll ask for more business tax credits. Um, child care, $40 billion, they won't want to set that precedent because, you know, under the CARES Act, the child care money applied just to part of the economy. And then, of course, the $1,400 checks, they'll try to roll those back probably to uh, about 1000 Economist Jack Rasmus is author of The Scourge of Neoliberalism, U.S. Economic Policy from Reagan to Trump. And you're listening to the news on WBAI New York. I'm Paul DiRienzo. Biden's choice to head the Department of State was also getting grilled by the Senate today. Anthony Blinken, who was Deputy National Security Advisor under President Barack Obama, was an architect of the overthrow of Muammar Gaddafi, the deposed former ruler of Libya. He says he agrees with many of Trump's foreign policy goals, just not on how the soon-to-be former president tried to achieve those goals. He got a warm introduction from New Jersey Democrat Bob Menendez. Uh, Mr. Blinken, congratulations on your nomination. Uh, you're superbly qualified and prepared to be our next Secretary of State. And you have impressed us all uh, over the years with your intellect, your dedication, and your humanity, including during your successful tenure as Deputy Secretary of State, Deputy National Security Advisor, and as Staff Director of this committee. Now, while tomorrow's inauguration is a time for healing and renewal, I am nonetheless compelled to speak about the insurrection at the Capitol on January 6. The images from that day are permanently seared in our collective conscience. Terrorists defiling the Capitol with Confederate flags and Nazi images, seeking to take hostage or perhaps kill our democratically elected leaders, savagely beating police officers. And in that respect, my heart goes out to the family of New Jersey native and Capitol Police Officer Brian Sicknick, who succumbed uh, to those injuries, and the family of Capitol Police Officer Howard Libengood, as well as dozens of other officers injured in the attack. This attack on the very foundation of our democracy delivered a tragic reminder that our ability to project power abroad is inextricably linked to the health and strength of our democracy. This does not mean that we cannot talk about the importance of democracy abroad, no, but rather we must show that senators and all other leaders in this country have a duty to stand up for democracy, for the Constitution, for the rule of law. There can be no exceptions. And I expect that from the Biden administration. And based on my experience, I know, Mr. Blinken, you will do so in word and deed. New Jersey Democrat Bob Menendez. Meanwhile, nominee Anthony Blinken says one of his first jobs in office would be to restart the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, or JCPOA, better known as the Iran nuclear deal. He says by pulling out, Trump did more damage than good. No one is shedding a tear for the demise of Qasem Soleimani. And certainly when I was last in office, uh, I saw uh, firsthand uh, the blood that he had on his hands. So no one uh, regrets the fact that uh, he's no longer there. I think from where I sat, Senator, the question is not 
whether taking him out was the, the right thing to do. It was gaming out what might be the consequences and asking ourselves whether, on balance, we would be left safer or not in taking that action. Previous administrations, including the, the Bush administration and the Obama administration, concluded that we wouldn't be. And I think what we saw after his death, including attacks on our positions in Iraq that left dozens, if not hundreds, of Americans with brain injuries, the fact that our forward posts in Iraq that were there to prevent the reemergence of ISIL had to pull back because of concerns that Iranian-backed militia after Soleimani's death would attack them, the fact that we are talking about, apparently, closing our embassy in Baghdad, again, for fear of the actions of these uh, militia, uh, and the fact that we've seen Iran acting out in a whole variety of ways because we're not the only actor uh, in this drama, I think, on balance, that that action actually left us less safe. And Soleimani was the Iranian general killed by a U.S. drone attack earlier this year. And Blinken reiterated the Trump line that China was America's biggest adversary. As you know, I believe that while the Trump administration got some of the questions about the region right, they came up with the wrong answers. At a time when we should have been strengthening our alliances, building new partnerships, empowering a multilateral architecture, expanding commercial ties, and ensuring the vitality of democracy and the rule of law, the Trump administration, in almost every case, did the exact opposite. And after four years of the Trump administration, we are in a worse position to effectively compete with China than before. The campaign coordinator of RootsAction.org is David Swanson. He says Blinken should have been asked about his role in helping start wars in Iraq, Syria and Libya. There was no mention of drone killings. Uh, there was questioning about torture, but not her record of supporting it. There was questioning about uh, hacking into the Senate, but not uh, her rewarding of those who did. Uh, there was endless questioning of how much she was willing to hate China, how much she would be willing to turn uh, the CIA and, and related agencies against uh, people in the United States domestically and illegally, by the way, a little bit on hating Russia, a little bit bit on hating Iran and much more on hating China. So I expect those to be the same topics we're going to hear uh, from the Senate committee on on Blinken. Uh, you know, I want to know which of the past wars he helped uh, facilitate he now regrets and what he's learned and what he would do better. Uh, but, you know, that this is not where the senators want to go. Listen to Mike Pompeo earlier today declare China a terrorist, uh, do you think anything's going to change? The trend through the Obama years and the Trump years has been away from big ground wars toward coups and aerial wars, much more bombing, much more death and suffering, and much more use of missiles from drones and otherwise. And this is a sort of shift that Blinken for years has openly supported. He wants air wars. He wants drone wars. He wants to avoid high U.S. war casualties. This is where he's going to want to go and where they're going to want him to go to the extent that they even bring up the topic. So we've gone through eight years of a president who remarkably didn't start a major new war. That's incredible for a U.S. president. But he escalated several wars he inherited. He turned them into aerial death machines. And he vetoed when the Congress, for the first time, used the War Powers Resolution of 1973 and tried to end a war. Trump vetoed it. So this is the big question. Will the Congress again end the war on Yemen? And will 
Blinken and Biden go along with it. Blinken has said he doesn't want to really end the endless wars, but to modify them. You also have Congress for the first time banning presidents from ending wars, so, you know, prohibiting Trump from withdrawing troops from Afghanistan, not to mention Germany and Korea. Where is Blinken on that? I don't expect him to even be asked. What's the goal for these policies? If you read Trump's 1776 report that came out disgustingly on Martin Luther King Day, this is how these people think. The whole entirety of good in the human race is contained in the people of George Washington and Abraham Lincoln and this exceptional corner of the globe. So they want exceptionalism. They want power. They want distinction from the rest of the world. They want rogue status with regard to international laws and treaties. They want weapon sales. They want benefits for the people who pay for their campaigns and let them on TV and give them jobs when they get voted out. Some of them want it to be all about China. Someone, some of them want it to be more about Iran. Some of them are still pushing Russiagate full bore. But you don't hear a single question about disarmament, about peace. This is another line of questioning that needs to come up. What about rejoining treaties. What about disarmament treaties? What about the treaties the United States has never joined? Can the United States become a good global citizen? This is what I'd like to hear asked about. I don't expect to. Could the United States live being a rich number two to an inevitably number one China? The United States isn't alive. It's a concept. Human beings are alive and you and I could live with it perfectly well. David Swanson is campaign coordinator of RootsAction.org. And closer to home, at least 28 people were arrested as groups of protesters gathered in New York City to march on Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Hundreds of protesters and different groups throughout the city gathered to commemorate the life and legacy of the civil rights leader. The groups calling for racial and social justice peacefully marched from the Barclays Center in Brooklyn to City Hall, where they were met with a large group of NYPD officers. As it occurred last summer with protests against the killing of George Floyd, police told protesters to disperse and then rush the crowd. Eleven officers were injured, according to the NYPD, but none in serious condition. Mayor de Blasio today. I've only uh, seen a few videos, so I can't give you a bigger comment. But look, it was a small protest. It was in close proximity to City Hall, and that was obviously a concern after what happened at the Capitol just 12 days ago. But the bottom line is a host of changes are happening right now at the NYPD. And as Mayor de Blasio, just last week, Attorney General James filed a lawsuit against the NYPD and its leadership to end its pattern of using excessive force and making false arrests against New Yorkers during peaceful protests. Today, she called the NYPD actions shameful. Mayor de Blasio, for his part, addressed a new manual for cops with specific penalties for acts that have been called a violation of human rights. Each specific offense and the specific consequences that will occur if someone commits that offense. Everybody deserves due process. We believe in due process across the board in our society. But if that due process system says, guilty, you did that offense, then the specific penalties are outlined right here, the minimums and the maximums. And what it says clearly is, for many offenses, particularly those involving the use of force, it is clear the ultimate penalty is termination. And as Mayor de Blasio 
talking about his new manual for cops that would uh, make them accountable for certain actions that have been called violations of human rights. And finally, in a last-minute slap at President Donald Trump, a federal appeals court today struck down one of his administration's most momentous climate rollbacks, saying officials acted illegally in issuing a new rule that eased federal regulations of air pollution from power plants. The Trump administration rule was based on a, quote, mistaken reading of the Clean Air Act. The U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia ruled, adding that the Environmental Protection Agency fundamentally had misconceived the law. The decision is likely to give the incoming Biden administration a freer hand to regulate emissions from power plants, one of the major major sources of climate damaging fossil fuel emissions. And that's some of the news for Tuesday, January 19th, 2021. The news was produced with Linda Perry. Our engineer is Reggie Johnson from New York City for the WBAI News. I'm Paul Durienzo. Thanks for joining us. See you tomorrow.